Once again, we hear God's Word from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. That is, is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. The New Testament reading from which our lesson comes is found in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. You can find that on page 1004 of your pew Bibles. Once again, we hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. Uh, This too is the word of God. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, 
and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God destined to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Word of God so far, let us pray that God will bless the preaching of it. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be attentive to your word this morning. Help us to block out all other thoughts and to concentrate and focus on your word. Lord, may we hear your law convicting us of our sins and may we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, which gives us comfort and hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ and Friends, the things of this world can often become a substitute for hope in God. Of course, it is fine to hope for a job, for a spouse, for a house, but often these things are substituted for God in the hope that you must have for the final promised land. I mean, how many times have you lost something in this life and found yourself saying, I've lost all hope? Well, Job, who lost virtually everything in this life, did not lose hope because his hope was in God. Of course, being a sinner, his hope became so small that God had to speak comfort and hope back into him. So you're not all that different from Job. Well, the church to whom the author of Hebrews uh, speaks found their hope waning. Therefore, he injects hope into them, reminding them, preaching to them, that God has made promises sealed with an oath. And that, brothers and sisters, is something that has the greatest surety in this life. Well, because the author preaches to you too this morning, you can believe in the promises of God so that you may hold fast to the hope of attaining heaven one day despite your struggles with faith in this life. So we'll begin by remembering uh, Abraham's faith when he was instructed to sacrifice his own son Isaac. Second, you will hear that you too are heirs of the promises and can hold fast to the hope that is set before you. Now in the previous section of chapter 6, the author had just warned the church that some could easily fall away from God. But that warning is followed by assurance that the elect of God would indeed persevere in the faith through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. He states in chapter 6, verses 11 and following, that he wishes the church to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that they may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So you have to understand here that the church was laboring under trials and tribulations. They felt like giving up. Some of them thought about returning to Judaism. They were failing to hear God's word, which would have strengthened them. And so there's so much like you. 
it is easy, easy to lose hope. And it's easy to fall away from God. It's easy to forget that you need the Word of God each week to strengthen you. The author, however, gently encourages them, and you, to remember those who had gone before them, those who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. One of the chief examples of faith and patience whom the people could follow was Abraham. Abraham was the one who was called out of his homeland to receive God's promises of the gospel. Now according to Genesis chapter 12, Abraham had left Ur the Chaldeans with his family to go to Haran. And in modern terms this would be uh, modern day Iraq uh, moving down to southern Turkey. While in Haran, God called Abraham to go to the land of Canaan, the promised land. In the process of this call, God told him that he would bless the land, bless him rather, and give him a land filled with many descendants. Now, in turn, many others worldwide will receive the blessings of God. So Abraham listens to God's word, he follows God, and leaves all of his idols behind. Now the blessings of God which Abraham and his descendants received are on two levels. First, his blessing was to be the actual promised land and actual children that would fill the land. And this goes back to Genesis uh, where God makes uh, promises to Adam and Eve and gives them the cultural mandate. That is, you are to be productive in this life, producing children and cultivating the land. Well, here's uh, the ultimate promise of receiving the land. But second, the blessings of God are the reality of the eternal heavenly state. The physical promised land pointed to that heavenly reality. Those who believed in Yahweh and claimed His name would be the proper recipients of these promises. These promises which God makes are a part of the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace was initiated with Adam in the garden. It promises that God's people would be saved from God's anger through Jesus Christ, who would obey God's law and die in their place. The promise of the gospel is confirmed in the covenant God made with Abraham and descendants. It's the same covenant, just two different forms. Covenant of grace, Abrahamic covenant, same thing. It's a promise of the gospel. So God secures his promises for Abraham and his descendants in a covenant of sacrifice, covenant ceremony in Genesis chapter 15, and then he confirms that covenant-making ceremony with circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. And this is God's way of confirming the promises and stating that his word was true. So God uses visible things, that's why we call these things sacraments, he uses these visible things to confirm the word of promise to his people. There's just one problem in the story. Abraham does not have a legitimate heir. Abraham has Ishmael through another woman, Hagar, his servant, but he does not have the rightful son through Sarah. So the question is, how could the promises of God be realized? How could Abraham have many descendants if he has not the rightful heir? Well, God does promise that Abraham's wife Sarah would bear a son in her old age. And this son would be the rightful heir. And true to his word, God allows Sarah to conceive the promised son. But the time between the promise 
And the birth of that son is about two and a half decades. So kids, you have to remember this, that time is very slow for you, but for parents who are waiting for a son, this is a very long time. For you, two and a half decades, about 25 years is a long time. For them, it's even longer. And the period of waiting here and the reception of the son is the subject of the author's words in Hebrews chapter 6. You can't understand what the author is saying here unless you understand this background. So the author in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 6 say that God made a promise to Abraham swearing by himself since he is the highest authority. And this is the promise. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. This is God's promise to Abraham found in Genesis chapter 22 Verse 17. But this came only after a period of one of the greatest tests ever in Abraham's life. And of course, this test involved the promised son, the heir, the one that Abraham and Sarah had waited for for 25 years. And this story is found in Genesis 22, which is, of course, our Old Testament lesson for this morning. At this point in the story, Abraham is at Mount Moriah with his son Isaac. Isaac, however, is bound and he's lying on top of a crude altar. God has instructed Abraham to make Isaac a burnt offering. Of course, this means that Abraham would have to kill his own son, cut him up, and burn him. Again, you must remember that Abraham had waited 25 years for this heir. This was the son Sarah had given birth to in her latter years, which made the birth completely miraculous. This was the son of the promise from whom all the descendants would come and fill the promised land. This is the son Abraham loved and the one in whom the promises of God were to be realized. So how could God ask such a thing? Why would God ask such a thing. And Abraham could ask questions of God all the day long. But all he could do was merely rely on what God had said before. It was not God's place, as it were, or God did not want to at this point explain everything to Abraham. That's a part of the test. God had said in the past, this is the way it is, Abraham. It was up to Abraham now to believe in God's promises, to take him at his word. And that is exactly what Abraham does. So here is Isaac, laid out on this altar, bound. The guy has faith himself to allow his dad to do this. He's probably in his early 20s at this point. And Abraham raises his knife to kill his son. In his mind, Isaac was dead. He's going to kill his son. But, Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his own son. Abraham proved that he was a man of faith and patience. That's the issue again, right? That's the issue the author of Hebrews is speaking to. Faith and perseverance, patience. 
Abraham took God at his word. He believed that God would keep his promises and even raise Isaac from the dead. Remember, when he raises that, lot, that knife, Isaac is dead. Exactly because Abraham placed his faith in the God of the impossible, God reiterated his promises to bless him and his descendants. Therefore, as the author says in chapter 6, verse 15, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Abraham, having patiently waited, having faith, he obtained the promise. And what was that promise that he obtained? It was his son. He received his son back. And now from the son there would be millions, millions of descendants in the promised land. It is this story of faith that the author of Hebrews holds up to those in the church who are facing horrible trials. To those who are weary and tired of persecution. Those who feel like giving up. To those who are losing patience with God. To those who are in danger of substituting the things of this world for God and His promises. The things that you can see, you can touch, and you can feel. The things that can offer immediate satisfaction. In this story, the author is giving the church hope that God will never, ever fail in His promises to bless them and give them the final land of heaven. So you see, the emphasis in reality falls on God and His promises. Not on the people's efforts. Not on what the people could do. He says that to the church then. He says it to the church today. So therefore you have to understand that you too are heirs of the promises of God and can hold fast. You have to understand something that God is set on convincing you of the surety of His promises. You think of that. God wishes to convince you, to persuade you. God doesn't appear today because He appeared in the past through Jesus Christ. But He's left you His word. He says that is sufficient to convince you. So notice what the author says. So when God destined to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So here the author is saying that Isaac and his son Jacob and the rest of the Israelites to follow them in faith are not the only heirs of the promise. Isaac's not the only one. Jacob comes along. He's not the only heir. There are a bunch of heirs after that. And you're included in all of this. Well, how do you know? Paul says in Galatians 3.16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul here is saying that among all the descendants of Abraham, including Isaac, the promised heir, Christ is the true heir and true descendant of Abraham. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant is basically the same as the covenant of grace. God promises Adam and Eve what? That the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That's Christ. Abraham, the true heir, is Christ. You today, the true heir, is Jesus Christ. So in Christ, all the promises of God are known. After all, He is the one to whom the substitute ram pointed in Genesis 22. 
But of course, this includes you, as Paul goes on to say in the rest of Galatians. He says, and if you are Christ's, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You are Abraham's descendants. Not just Jewish people. Jewish people have faith in Christ. But you too, who have faith in Christ, are heirs of the promises. And the author of Hebrews is saying that the hope of those in the Old Testament and the hope of of those in the church to whom he speaks and your hope are grounded in two things in which it is impossible for God to lie. What are those two things? One, it is God's promise. Two, it is God's oath. Those are the two sure things. The promise, of course, is that you will be blessed as those who are included as the descendants of Abraham. Now you know that this promise means ultimately that you will realize the final state of heaven. Despite of what happens now in this life, God in Christ will usher you into heaven. That is his promise. And sometimes that's called into question. You go through trials and tribulations and persecutions, tiredness. I mean, you're just like these people. You feel like giving up. You feel like maybe doing a different religion. I mean, Christianity is never popular, right? There are other forms of religion that are very popular, very easy, promise a lot of great things, and sometimes you think, well, maybe I should do that instead. I mean, I didn't sign up for all this persecution and hardship and heartbreak. I mean, this is very human. But God doesn't say, I'm going to appear to you again in the flesh, because I did that 2,000 years ago. And I gave you my word, my promise. But also, God affirms His promise with an oath. As God said to Abraham in Genesis 22, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is very interesting in that text, because God speaks again from heaven through this angel, to say, oh, let me also give you an oath. My promise is good enough, but because I love you and I wish to encourage you, I'll give you my oath. God holding up His hand, promising these things, sealing it with an oath. And this is important, as the uh, author is pointing out here, because uh, people in legal situations in the ancient Near East had to swear by something or someone greater than themselves for a final confirmation. But because no one or nothing is greater than God, God swears an oath by himself. And kids, you understand this when you look at, I don't know, television programs that have law courts in them. Somebody puts their hand on the Bible and swears, right? Well, they're making promises based on God, ultimately. But God doesn't need to do that. He's the greatest. He is God. So you think about it. Uh, God does this because human beings need assurance. If your daughter goes into surgery and she makes it through, the people coming out of the surgery room, think of it, you're not going to talk to the nurse, you're not going to talk to the physician's assistants, you're not going to talk to the clerk or the aide, no one else but the surgeon. All of you parents know that. You don't care what anybody else says. You're going to go right to the surgeon and say, how is my daughter doing? What is her prognosis? And why do you do that? You want assurance. But what kind of assurance do you want? You want it from the top dog. You want it from that surgeon that knows the most and is the most skilled. I mean, how much more then? 
does it make sense that God gives his oath to you as a seal of his promise that what he said is true despite what you feel, despite what your emotions are. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, the issue of your salvation is far greater than the health of your child or anything else in this short life. In context, the author is concerned that you hold fast to the hope set before you because you can lose hope. God's design and purpose is to convince you that His promise and His oath are sufficient to increase hope in you that you will obtain heaven. God's promise and oath are surer than anything you can hear, see, touch in this life as you sometimes stumble around in your faith. Give up trying to touch, see, or hear something outside of God's promise. It's no good. God is preaching to you right now, this morning, so that you can persevere in your faith. The promises of God to which you cling are not health and wealth, and getting all the things that you want in this life. No, the promise of God includes the reality of being redeemed from all the power of the devil, belonging to Jesus Christ as his slave, having all things work together for your salvation, and the assurance of eternal life in heaven. It is important to keep this in mind because you are pilgrims and strangers in this life. You can even be considered as a refuge a refugee, rather. But in verse 18, you seek refuge in God, in whom you have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before you. And that's exactly what Abraham did. It would have been easy and natural for him to believe that God was unfair in asking him to sacrifice his son. After all, Isaac is a promised heir. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Why would God have... Abraham do this. But Abraham had no right to ask why. His duty was to believe God. So despite Abraham's emotion as a father who loved his son, he took God at his word. That's very important. Despite his emotion, despite his feelings on the matter, he had nothing else to do except take God at his word. He sought refuge in God and His promise and in His oath, for there was nothing sure. You can look back on that and see that's true. But at the time, I'm sure. He must have thought, there are other things I can do to make myself feel better about what God has asked me to do. Nothing and no one in that situation would have supported his faith except God's word. In God's word, he found encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before him, just like the author is asking the church to do now. But the author says that you have even more encouragement than Abraham. You have Jesus Christ, the true heir, who appeared in the flesh, obeying God perfectly and laying down his life on the altar of the cross for you, his friends and his brothers. The hope you have in him is described as the anchor of your soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's an anchor not in the earthly sea, but an anchor in the heavens above. That is a bizarre metaphor, isn't it? Not an anchor in the ocean where it belongs, an anchor in heaven itself, which is more sure than the ocean floor. 
And this is an anchor where Christ has finished His priestly work and continues as high priest mediating on your behalf. To the Father's right hand, Christ has ascended as a forerunner on your behalf. That means that He arrived there first as a sure hope that you will be with Him in heaven one day. In conclusion, brothers and sisters, God has given you Abraham and his faith as a great example. It's ultimately not about Abraham. It's ultimately about the God of promise. Here was a man who was just like you, a man who was confused by God's word, by his call, but all he could do was rely on God. It was not Abraham that persevered, it was God who persevered him in his faith. Yes, Abraham had faith. But the faith and perseverance that he had was only good insofar as God was good. And so, brothers and sisters, you have the same hope because you have the same faith. And it is God, by His Spirit, that strengthens your faith this morning hearing this word. And you will persevere to the end. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.